Welcome to A History of the Inca. Special Episode Well, hello everyone. Uh, this is an unplanned episode release. Um, it's Christmas. It's the morning of Christmas Eve right now. Uh, my boy is asleep, and I am rushing to record this to get this all out to you. You can probably hear the music here. Um, baby monitor, got to keep it on me. So if you hear a little bit of lullabies in the background, that is why. He's been down for a couple minutes. I'm hoping he sleeps an hour, hour and a half to give me some time. But who knows? You know, I may only have ten more minutes to record this. Um, so back on back on script, Nick. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to have time to record something for you all as a little holiday present, so I didn't announce anything. But here we are with a small episode out in time for your holiday travels, or maybe your holiday return travels at this point. And today we have an interview. Now the interview is not conducted by myself. I'm just recording a small intro to it to give the interview a bit of context. Repatriation is a big topic in archaeology and museum studies right now, and has been picking up steam for the past decade. Some of you might be familiar with the Eileen marbles that Britain has in its possession, and the, and the demands of Greece that they be returned back to them. And just wait till we discuss Hiram Bingham, Machu Picchu, and Yale. The issue becomes even more delicate, though, when dealing with human remains. Here in the States, there is something called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA for short. That was passed in 1990. What the law more or less says is that the remains and funerary objects that hold sacred value must be returned to their respective descendants. I came across this at my time as an undergraduate at the University of Michigan. The university, from decades and decades ago, had accumulated human remains and funerary objects from Native Americans. They were held in little more than individual cardboard boxes. Now, I'm happy to say that my alma mater was in the long process of working with the tribes to identify and return those remains and objects. Now, all that was nearly a decade ago, so I anticipate that much progress has been made on that front. However, this was quite a common practice for many Western institutions for many years, the collection and keeping of human remains. And that is a problem. Now, here in the United States, as I just explained, there is a system in place for tribes recognized by the government to have their ancestors return to them. I may be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, there aren't any laws necessitating the repatriation of remains to indigenous peoples outside the U.S. border. Today, though, I wanted to highlight an interview that was conducted by Michigan Radio's Stateside in August about this very subject. Stateside is a radio program that discusses news and issues happening in my home state, and I try to catch it when I can. This show is free to listen to as it is part of our national public radio station, or NPR, and all the credit for the interview belongs to Stateside. On this particular episode, Michigan State University Professor Emeritus Bill Lovis discusses the repatriation of an Inca mummy back to the country of Bolivia. Now, we've touched on mummies on the podcast briefly, and we will go into more detail about them in the future. 
but I wanted to share this interview as it happened recently, and I didn't want to risk forgetting about it simply because I'm not covering the topic of mummies at the moment. Plus, as I stated earlier, it is a very interesting and delicate topic to say the least. Have a great holiday, everyone, and enjoy. This is Stateside. I'm Lester Graham. This week, the mummy of an Incan girl was sent back to Bolivia. It had been donated to Michigan State University in the 19th century. Bill Lovis worked for years to get the mummy sent back to Bolivia. Lovis is a professor emeritus of anthropology at Michigan State University, and he joins us now. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So how did this Incan mummy end up at Michigan State to begin with? Uh, we have limited information, uh, but uh, basically the the accession record from uh, Michigan State University suggests that that uh, it was donated by uh, William B. McCreary, who was a trustee, a board of trustees member at MSU in the late 19th century. Uh, William McCreary was the consul, the U.S. consul to Chile at the time. And somehow he uh, obtained a an Incan mummy along with a variety of objects that had been uh, uh, placed with her in a stone tomb uh, south of Bolivia, south of La Paz. And uh, we don't know how it came uh, either out of the stone tomb, how he acquired it, or it's the precise way in which it was transported to MSU, but it did arrive here in 1890 and was accessioned into the MSU collections. Well, let's let's talk about the mummy itself. Uh, sure. How far does it date back? Okay, we have a radiocarbon date that puts it in the uh, mid-15th century, so in the 1470 range. Uh, and that radiocarbon date comes from some corn, uh, a kernel of corn that was uh, in a pouch uh, with the mummy. So uh, if the radiocarbon date is correct, it is, in fact, uh, something that dates prior to the arrival of Columbus uh, in the Western Hemisphere and certainly prior to the European conquest of the Inca. Why was it important to you to return this Incan girl, this mummy of this Incan girl, back to uh, her homeland? A number of years ago, back in the 19, about 1980, uh, a number, uh, several of the curators at the MSU Museum uh, it came to the conclusion that it was really inappropriate for uh, MSU to be uh, displaying human remains in a public space. And so we, uh, we uh, catalyzed a movement to remove her from exhibition, and she was. Uh, and so she, she came off exhibit. So there was that part of it. Uh, the second part of it had to do with uh, storage facilities. Uh, we have storage facilities that are uh, relatively stable in terms of their temperature and humidity, but they are certainly not designed for the long-term storage of mummified human remains. 
Uh, thirdly, uh, I tried to get uh, a number of people interested in uh, doing some basic documentary research on the mummy, and I, I was unsuccessful at doing that. So, you know, with that trifecta in place, I spoke with our acting director at the time, uh, Laura Hulu, and uh, uh, I posed the proposition that we, uh, in fact, based on these three these three observations, that, that perhaps it would be a better thing for us to do and, and repatriate to Bolivia. Well, let's, let's talk about why it took so long. I mean, besides the coca leaves she's carrying, uh, why did it take <laughs> so long to send it back to Bolivia? One doesn't just um, uh, say, gee, we're going to give you back your mummy, and then somehow give it to somebody, and then it's done. Uh, this is governed by bilateral accords between the United States and the nation that one wishes to repatriate to. And so these bilateral accords uh, uh, basically tell us that what we need to do is initiate conversations with the appropriate parties in the potentially recipient state, uh, and that what we want to do is we have to actually ask them uh, whether they would be willing to receive the human remains. Uh, or any any artifacts, any cultural materials that we might wa- uh, potentially want to return. So these are these are all bureaucratic procedures. Uh, she uh, was also buried with um, uh, uh, plant materials that are still used in uh, in local ritual, things like corn and beans, and uh, even a pouch full of coca leaves. Uh, which posed a very interesting uh, issue for the repatriation. My bad. Uh, <laughs> we had to uh, uh, involve the Drug Enforcement Administration through the Office of General Counsel that we had controlled substances, um, uh, even though they were uh, 500 years old and had no toxins left in them. They were still uh, they were still controlled by legislation by the law. So we had to work through that. So, so you know, even though I, in many respects, you know, was the person who coordinated a lot of this, uh, I could not have done it without literally dozens of other people. And I'm not even naming a lot of the people who were involved in uh, uh, some of the scientific documentation. It seems like the fact that Michigan State University owned the remains of this little girl, uh, it, it, it seems – a very odd concept, uh, and, but yet it's happened in Western countries uh, all over the, uh, Europe and, and North America. How has thinking changed uh, recently about that? Well, it depends on the institution and it depends on the Western country uh, as to how they view that kind of, that kind of concept. Uh, uh, most of the archaeologists and museum people that I work with uh, really don't look at the ownership of human remains by an institution as as an appropriate perspective on uh, on uh, the way in which human remains might or should be treated. On the other hand, uh, most of the uh, museum people and archaeologists and physical anthropologists I know uh, are eager to learn as much about the past as we can from those human remains. So uh, at some at some level, there needs to be a cooperative relationship that allows that kind of scientific research to take place. 
How do you feel about the return of this little girl's remains to her homeland? Well, actually, uh, I feel very good that it has finally been accomplished. And, and, and in fact, it was only really accomplished about two weeks ago, <laughs> uh, even though I started all of this in early 2016. I was very pleased that that all of the time and effort that both I and other people had put into returning her to her country uh, and to appropriate storage with uh, a custodianship that would allow the Bolivian people to have access to her, uh, that all of that had been accomplished, that we were successful at doing that. So I was really quite gratified that that the effort that we'd put into it at a variety of different institutional levels uh, actually had a positive effect here and that she will be properly cared for and she will be able to be uh, 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 a part of the tangible heritage of Bolivia for the Bolivian people. Bill Lovis is Professor Emeritus of Anthropology at Michigan State University. Thanks for telling us about this young lady. My pleasure.